When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We have now passed 400 YouTube subscribers and our next stop is 500. We also had our biggest ever week for audio downloads, so thank you uh, to everyone for all your support. If you like what we do, please like, share and subscribe. Comments also give us a big boost and we always respond to everyone. A reminder that you can find us on Twitter and sign up to our free Substack. Links for both are below. If you follow us, you'll get updates every time we drop a new piece of content, whether it be a podcast, a video, or a long-form article. But now, I shall introduce our wonderful guest. I'm sure that plenty of you will know her from Twitter, slash Blue Sky now, uh, and her jet-setting cosmopolitan lifestyle, where she's not afraid to tell the biggest personalities on Rugby Twitter exactly what she thinks of them. It is the one and only Catherine Kavanagh. How are you? I'm great. It's so lovely to be here. I have such time for both of you. I think we three first met on Jay Craig scoops over the summer when we were talking about the World Cup, which let's face it, none of us wants to talk about now. No. Not <laughs> we three anyway. No, no. So it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's absolutely our pleasure. So let's jump straight into our moments of the week. You end it, mate. You can go first. What was your moment? I struggled to pick a moment, but you're like, we all know that Matt Hansen was back for Connacht, so I was always going to pick a, a Matt Hansen moment. And he had a brilliant game, and I'll talk about it more late, later on. But in the 69th minute, um, Connacht nice. had a rook in the middle of the pitch, inside their own half, um, played through it to Hanrahan. Hanrahan took the ball up, drew his man passed it um, to Hansen and Hansen spotted a gap between Deegan and I think it was Russell who was on the wing broke through and um, created a perfect two-on-one gave the pass and Kilgannon ran in, ran in close to under the posts and it was just a, a brilliant uh, display of what we've kind of been missing since um, since he's been out since the beginning of this season um, this URC season and it was just just one of many moments that he had in the game were just that were just pretty special and yeah, like there was a full house at the sports ground for the for the derby against Leinster and the place erupted with that score. And I think it's just exactly what Connacht need, um, especially with Bordeaux on the horizon this Friday. But yeah, one of many great moments that he had this weekend. What about yourself, Hugh? What was your moment of the week? So I was at the rugby in person this week. I went to Cardiff to take on take in Cardiff versus the Scarlets for the second time this season. And I was with my friend and fellow podcaster Harley Worthy, Dr. Harley Worthy, to give his full title. He oh, took the day off. Yeah, You're he there. took the day off um, treating patients exactly. and saving lives to come and uh, to come and attend the rugby with me. And uh, it got to half time, and we were walking down uh, down in the Arms Park to go and get uh, a snack. 
And Harley turns to me and goes, I swear I've just seen Richard Hammond. I was like, what? Yeah, Richard Hammond off Top Gear. And he's like, yeah, I swear. And I was like, I don't think you have, mate. And he's like, no, I know I haven't, because why would he be here? But he looked exactly like Richard Hammond. And then we get on, we get home, we check on Twitter. It was Richard Hammond. Richard Hammond was, for some reason, at Cardiff Arms Park. He was there, uh, I think, supporting Kevin Sinfield on his mega super duper marathon thing. And Cardiff were posting Twitters of him in the crowd. So turns out Harley wasn't going demented due to the uh, severe cold that we were standing in. He actually did see uh, the one and only Richard Hammond. So that was a bit of a moment for me. Anyway, Catherine, what was your moment? I would talk about the Leinster win, which I think we snatched from the Jaws defeat in Connacht. But I think the moment belongs very much with Enda. It was amazing to watch Hansen back in full form. Like he, he's the, he's the least physically equipped rugby player in the world, but he's really one of the world's great personalities and great players at the moment. And we're so lucky he's ours, although temporarily he obviously belongs to the West of Ireland. Um, and it was great to see him back and on flying form. And I will gloss quickly past the result that I know Enda is extremely upset about. I have to say, sorry, my friend, I'm not sure we deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into the big news of the week then? So, yeah, the 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 first bit that we I think we need to talk about is we now have the second official from the World Cup final has stepped away this time just from international rugby. He will be continuing at club level. But Tom Foley has announced that he no longer takes plans to take control of international games. He's stepping away. I think he said an indefinite break is the way he phrased it. I think, you know, when it comes to in his statement, he referenced a lot of the, the abuse and the threats that he got off the back of that, which was ridiculous in my opinion, because, uh, and it was the same with Wayne Barnes. I thought both of them had exemplary games and I couldn't fault any of the decisions that any of them made. But when it comes to the discussion about why these have happened, the the, the tendency is for pundits and journalists to start turning their, their aim towards the fans and saying, oh, these fans are so terrible. Look at what they do. And yes, the extreme ends of the abuse will come from the fans. But Catherine, I think, it, is it fair to say that there are people working within rugby whether that be coaches or particularly loud voices in the media who enable this kind of thing, would you say? Yes. There's nothing more poisonous than somebody with a microphone and no, well, with free reign, and I suppose an interlocutor with no power of reply. And we have seen this echoed. And I think for me, it really began probably during the lockdown periods. So we're all familiar with what Erasmus did in the season of 2021 when the Lions were in town and releasing home videos made clearly from his garage and that pen gimmick that he had. That, to me, unleashed the gates of anyone with a microphone and opinion who felt they were enabled to launch personal attacks on people. In some stage over the past couple of years, we have lost direction as a sport and we have looked to our rugby teams perhaps to give us solace and comfort during lockdowns when there was nothing else to do and we have probably elevated any kind of sport but particularly rugby for some weird reason to somewhere beyond the pantheon of just a great day out with friends and a chance to support your team or support your province it has stopped being that wonderful community bonding leisure um, albeit a very expensive leisure hobby for all of us and it's it's become something more and i i think culpability lies 
on probably three separate fronts. Um, I am very loath to blame social media because that is the quick refrain of every pundit with a microphone and opinion. And it deflects criticism because let's face the people using social media in many cases are like people like we three spend a fortune and give up our annual leave and, you know, sacrifice other things we'd like to do with our lives because we're going to buy big expensive World Cup tickets or go to Six Nations matches. I think it lies with the World Rugby governing body, which has failed its officials. And it's failed its officials by not providing more clarity on why decisions were made and stopping the baying mob at the gates from, you know, making their own conclusions. It's also deliberately not stood by its officials. It has not come out publicly at any st stage and talked about the need to dial back the rhetoric. And it also lies with the media who themselves increasingly in recent years have begun to target their ire towards players not performing or players not interpreting decisions correctly or players choosing to disregard laws they don't like and blaming that on the referees. There is also the third case, which is the idiots with their opinions. They've always existed. They are not the driving force here. There are people in positions of power and authority who have allowed this happen and it's happened very suddenly. I don't know if you guys think that's unfair or think there's more to it. No. What do you think, Enda, I think you're yeah you're you're definitely touching on something there that that's accurate because it, it it doesn't feel like the rugby I grew up watching or like even yeah pre-pandemic it didn't feel like this it didn't feel like players like Owen Farrell were coming out saying they're taking time away to focus on their mental health because of the amount of stuff um you know criticism and abuse they've gotten online it's just it's a horrible situation to be in and the worst thing about it I think for me is that I don't know really where we're going to go. Uh, as a sport like is it just going to become more and more like other sports like maybe football where it, we just expect abuse now and we've Ugo Monia coming out about with racism remarks being made to him um at the extra chief game a couple of weeks ago like I, I don't know where we go and it, it's a yeah it's definitely a sad state of affairs um and it's just really sad like like a ref to be sitting yeah not even on the pitch and he's and he's made this decision because of abuse he's gotten for for just doing his job and he wasn't even yeah I just it's 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 sad to hear, I think. Um and I, I don't really know wh where we go from here. Like I don't know what the solution is here. Um like like and I think Catherine, you made you made a great point. Like it, it's so easy just to just to blame social media and the lack of regulation. Like we, we like it's it's never been this bad. Social media's been around a good a good while now and it's it seemed to have gotten gotten to a really bad stage now and I just don't know where we're going um as a sport and what we're gonna do about it. Um, I'm sick. Like I, I just find that the criticism. Like we, we, we try to make a point on this pod not, not to criticize refs and not to focus on poor decisions because it's just so boring and nobody wants to listen or watch that. And yeah, I just wish there was le less of a focus on on a ref in a game. Like whenever you're watching certain games or you're watching certain international teams or club teams play. You just know that the same people are going to come out and just moan about the refereeing decisions against their team, and it's just such lazy. Um, like it's such it's such a lazy way of watching sport and commentating on sport. Like just focus on your team, focus on where they went wrong, focus on the other team and where they went well, like where they did well. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly it. Lazy is is becoming a buzzword of our podcast. Um, you know, without Hugh blames ITV becoming a, a weekly bit during the World Cup, there would be great games. There would be games that were tri fests, and there would be 
a card given out in the first half and the entirety of the halftime analysis from ITV would be dedicated to the refereeing and the refereeing decisions. So exactly as you alluded to there, and that we have a almost self-imposed, we don't do ref chat, Squidge Rugby does the same. Maybe that needs to be the rule for like someone like Austin Healy on BT or something who seems to just live for refereeing chat. Maybe it just needs to be a rule that if you're on co-coms or you're doing the um, punditry for a rugby game, you don't um, do ref chat. And if the referee makes a decision, you go, OK, the referee's called that. Or if you if there's a replay that shows they might have got it wrong, you might say something like, oh, it's a bit tight there, but the referee's made a decision. You've got to respect it. I mean, do you, do you not remember all the times that those clips of players going, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, with like Chris Robshaw and they would always go viral and it's all rugby values. What happened to that? So I think that exactly that kind of thing should be applied to um, pundits potentially as well. And that would help um, quieten it down a bit. Catherine, did you want to come in there? Yeah, sure. I think that's a really strong point. I would like to see pundits have some accountability. And I think some of it stems from the ultimate slew of, of law changes rules do you hear me law changes we've had in the past <laughs> five years I don't think many of the people who are commentating at the moment because it is the same faces across different channels certainly in the UK and in Ireland I'm not sure how many of them are up to date on the current laws and you hear it again and again from the same people and I'm not going to name names on this podcast because that's not what we're about here but I think you hear the same thing again and again you hear various different pundits talk about oh there's no intent the law of intent was never a law in the first yeah, place it's not a law possible to police it is completely subjective and I think in the absence of people actually sitting down and going through the online app that World Rugby has produced with the laws and keeping up to date with changes I think it is easier to blame the person who calls time and like I, I was struck by it during I think it was the Ireland New Zealand match in Paris, which I'd rather forget, quite frankly. But I remember the, the camera constantly trained on Andrew Porter, right? And the look of abject fury in the guy's face as he's marched back five the whole time where the scrum was reset or he was penalised. I remember yelling at one stage to the people around me, like, why isn't he changing his behaviour? Barnes is not going to change his interpretation of the ruling. It's up to the player and up to the pundits and up to the media never mind ourselves as fans, to ensure we're, we're equipped to know why these people who are more qualified than any of us will ever be are making the adjudications because invariably they're found right in the post-match. Yeah. And if you yeah. look at someone like Tom Foley, who would objectively be the number two successor to Wayne Barnes after his retirement. And that's a very exalted position for any referee. I mean, you want to referee the big tests and be the referee of the World Cup finals or the big Lions matches. To have him voluntarily give that up and walk away from a very lucrative, glittering international career speaks volumes for where the game is at and where perhaps World Rugby has left them as officials. I think there has to be a degree of culpability towards them too. Yeah, I completely agree. Kind of sort of taking on a tangent from there, and maybe if we get all of the doom and gloom out of the way as early as possible before we talk about Connor, um, the the class action lawsuit, which is another thing that certain pundits took it upon themselves to discuss this weekend, um, we see we have seen yet more players join up with it. So we've seen, I believe, 
I don't know if it's new news, but Gavin Henson has joined it as well. And Colin Chavis, I, I'm not sure how new news that is that they joined up with it. And then we've had former Wales international Andrew Coombs also confirm his diagnosis. And I uh, don't think it's a, uh, announced that he's joined the lawsuits, but that this roster of players who have joined that action is getting longer and longer. And it's starting to become a bit daunting if it wasn't already. Ender, does this all end in tears because the payouts that these guys are going to get, presumably, I mean, this, I don't think this is going to be over quickly by any stretch of the imagination, but is is there a doomsday coming for rugby without being incredibly overdramatic? Who knows? Like, I have no idea where this is going to go. Um, like, you do hear stories about where rugby knowing, like, and there should have been longer stand-down periods, all of that kind of stuff. It'll all yeah it'll all come out over the next god knows how long um who knows where it's gonna it could like it could absolutely destroy the sports uh the sport i should say um i don't know like there have been a couple of comments out there about you know people maybe doing this to to maybe make some money or i i don't know i like like reading about Andrew Coombs when I saw that story, it is I like I, I wasn't too familiar with him, uh, and I just googled him really quickly, and I discovered that he was 39 years old, and to be diagnosed with dementia at 39 years old, like like I have no idea what what that must feel like. So I think that kind of just reiterates the importance of this whole thing to me, and and how we need to take um it very seriously. And obviously we've been forced to as a sport because of this massive litigation. But I think as fans and as pundits and and journalists out there, we need to and again, this comes back to the referee point. When we see these high shots, when we see these controversial calls, I think we just need to bloody well get on with it and accept them so that behaviour changes and, and we we get these hits out of the game as much as we can. We're never going to rule them out. Um, but it also linked, is linked to another point, which we're going to discuss later, which is the calendar. Like I, I follow Progressive Rugby. I have a lot of time for them on Twitter. And, you know, one of them, like they don't want to see the demise of rugby. They want to see rugby prevail and they want to see it succeed into the future. And they're, one of their biggest, you know, arguments is that we just need less games. And I think that that's the key for me. And then that's why I'm just struggling at the moment to see um where rugby's going to be, say, after this litigation or in five years, like if we're like, I, I honestly, after the chat we had with Kalon last week, I don't know if there's a future for the Heineken Cup, especially if we're going to amalgamate the, the leagues and everything. Um, if we are going to seriously put in place, you know, a limit of, of say twenty games per player, where are we going to go? Like, I just, I, I think leagues will suffer, competitions will suffer, cups will suffer. Um. But I think it's unfortunately inevitable. The, the more you read about this stuff and the more you read that it's you can't prevent it and it's the subconcussive of um, hits and um, it's not just the concussions. So what we, the only way to combat that is to have less games. Um, it's the only way. Uh, and obviously in conjunction with 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 really going hard on, on high hits and, and taking them out of the, the game as much as possible. But yeah, like this whole, like who knows where this this, this whole litigation is going to go. I, I don't think it's going to lead, like, lead to the demise of rugby. Um, some unions might struggle to get out of it. Will World Rugby have enough money left over to bail them out? Like who knows? Um, hopefully that's that's not the case, but it's, it's, it's going to, yeah, there's going to be there are going to be some tough articles coming out, um, as there have been since Steve Thompson came out um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, Catherine, what's your view? And is are we looking at a world potentially in the future where either rugby is not the same presence as it is now, or it's a fundamentally different game to play, perhaps? 
I don't think the game itself will alter too much. Um, the point you make about progressive rugby is really valid, actually, in terms of how they want to see it develop and see it policed. I would suspect there'd be two things. I'm not sure the class action in its current form will succeed. I think there's probably enough litigation power behind World Rugby to try and mitigate. I think insurance will become excessive, and that's actually what will stop its development and growth, particularly for tier two nations who will not be able to afford the insurance policies that are needed. Um, and I think we probably need to see, you know, extended squads. Like we had a team with 33 players per nation in the World Cup. To me, that was a nonsense. You know, that's what a 23 plus a few leftovers for a seven or eight or nine weeks, depending on your longevity. So I think it's it's too it's too low as a number. And you need probably, yes, 20 games per player, it seems I suppose, to my untrained brain about right. I think the Irish do it right and they do it on a rotating season, the same as everyone else does. But there's always going to be key assets that are exposed. And you would look at people like our recently retired captain. We look at Owen Farrell, who himself has been the victim of this, you know, the kind of ongoing concussive stuff over time. The guys who are playing the most combative positions, the guys who are targeted, there needs to be an acknowledgement that there needs to be more rotation in those positions. And perhaps that is the way the game will go to try and mitigate. That said, um, you've probably guessed by now I'm not a big fan of World Rugby in its current guise. I think ultimately the way forward will lie with how they respond to it. And if they retreat behind serious litigation and KC silks that cost 10 grand a day, like your man is a Richard Smith that England had on speed dial, that kills the game completely. But there's probably, I think, enough momentum and enough solid thought in player welfare globally. Certainly in Ireland there is, definitely in Zealand there is. Um, hard to tell with America these days, but there are enough solid people in the game to make a serious voice for it. But I think larger squads is probably the only way forward. Hmm. That's, I have to say that's a little bit scary to hear from a, a Welsh fan's point of view, given what's going on uh, in our game at the moment. So. Yeah, I think that's it. they're all excellent points. So moving on to a, something a bit more positive, we talk about progression in rugby and perhaps the, the area of the game where nearly all of the pro progressive and positive news comes from these days, the women's game. So there's been news that has come out today about the confirmed participation format of the new Celtic Challenge. So I've spent a fair bit of this afternoon researching this. So I'm just going to read out what I've been able to find out because I'll be very honest. It's been difficult to find out details about this, and I'll explain to you guys exactly what it has been that's been so difficult. So uh, it was piloted last year as a concept. Uh, so Celtic Challenge, it's uh, six teams, two from Wales, two from Scotland, two from Ireland. It was trialed last year with just three teams, one from each. So this is an expanded version of that. The six teams are from Scotland, you've got Edinburgh and Glasgow. From Ireland, you've got the Wolfhounds and the Clovers. I believe the Clovers are a mix of Munster and Connacht. Is that right? And then um, the Wolfhounds will be Leinster and Ulster. And then you've got uh, uh, Brydon Thunder and Gwalia Lightning, which are the Welsh teams. So uh, Thunder are East and North Wales and Lightning are, sorry, Thunder are North and West Wales. God, I forget. Don't tell anybody I got that wrong. Sure. And uh, 
Lightning are Central and East Wales. So Lightning will play in Cardiff and Thunder will play either in Pakiscarlet or up in uh, Conway Bay, um, which is where RGC, the Welsh Premiership team, are based. I'll come back to the an interesting point about the Welsh sides in a moment. So this tournament is going to be played between December the 29th and February the 3rd. The format is confusing. So they've made a bit of a song and dance about the format, but it's five regular rounds and then three playoff rounds. And if I just read the actual wording of it here, the competition will adopt new format, which will be made of five rounds before three double-headed playoff rounds to determine who will be this season's Celtic Challenge champions. I, for the life of me, can't work out what three double-header playoff round means. That's because with, with six teams, so double-header is two games, right? So that, that would be two teams not playing. That would be, that's only four teams. And then, so is it going to be a, like one of those ones where the quarter-final happens between like thir thirds down to sixth and the two top teams don't play, they get a bye, but that's not explicitly stated. It says that these double headers are going to be hosted in each of the participating nations. So it'll be one double header in, in Wales, Scotland and Ireland, but they don't know what order they're going to be played in yet. But that leaves the possibility that one of those rounds will be played in a country where neither of the teams participating are from that country, potentially. So it's really a bit confusing. And we're, we're hot off the back of the WXV1, at least, which had a confusing format and scheduling where there was eight teams in WXV1, but they didn't all play each other. They only played some of the games. And why, why is there only five regular rounds where they play each other once rather than a full league round, double round robin style? Now, the answer to that might be that this tournament is funded by World Rugby. It's not funded by the participating unions. And despite having Edinburgh and Glasgow in it, as far as I understand, it has no affi affiliation to the URC. So this would be purely World Rugby pumping money into the women's game to help with the development. And it does seem like that these teams are going to be development teams. So Wales held open trials to get picked for these teams. It's not like a select of players from teams that already exist. So, yeah. Yes, so it does there are in the case yeah. of the Congress in the West as well, yeah, which is a nonsense in itself. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, and yeah. no sponsor that I can work out. So, yeah, yeah, it's so max of like big organization capacity to give the birds some ball, right? Hmm. Yes. Sorry. Yes, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, so, I think the re one of the reasons that it might be a, a truncated format might just be because they don't want to put in the money to to um, pay for the extra games, basically. Um, so like I said, finding out actual details about this has been incredibly difficult because it has been announced by each of the three unions and they've all got copy and paste uh, press releases announcing it. And Will Rugby announced it about a week ago without the main details. The interesting thing for me as a Welsh rugby fan that stood out to it is it kind of gives a bit of an insight into how uh, the Welsh Rugby Union might read your might be wanting to redraw regional rugby if it had the chance. So. There was talk a few years ago about Scarlets and Ospreys merging and a new region coming up in the north of Wales. So not many people realise that North Wales is actually represented as part of the Scarlets region, which might not make sense geographically to some people. That is actually how it works. So the Thunder, which are the West Wales and North Wales region, play in black and red, which is an amalgamation of the Ospreys and the Scarlets kits. 
while as the lightning play in blue and yellow, which is an amalgamation of Cardiff and uh, Dragon's Kit. So I kind of thought, and um, Josh Gardner mentioned this on Blue Sky as well, is like, oh God, don't tell that mad guy from Ponty that this is kind of amalgamated region, regional thing. I think it gives it a fascinating insight into how, if you were to start from scratch with regional rugby, how the WIU might go about it. But it's way too late for that now. So, like I said, this doesn't appear to be affiliated with the URC. We heard suggestions that a URC women's tournament might be in the works. I don't think this is that, but we don't know yet. So, Catherine, yeah, what, what's your reaction to this news? Is it another positive step by the women's game, or do you think there's something a bit half-baked about it, maybe? It's completely half-baked, isn't it? I mean, no one can make any sense of it, including people like you who've actually done the research. It is great to see um, female players get the exposure and get the competitive fixtures that they need to grow and develop. But I'd be more interested to understand funding and backing, like there's no sponsor. So where where does that fit? And how much of it is a bit of tokenism? Because it doesn't make any sense. You need competitions. You need jeopardy, for example. You need competitions to make sense and there to be um, a solid playing base. And if you try and amalgamate, as Enda will tell you, two Irish provinces, you don't really get the buy-in, like that feral provincial buy-in that we have. And the same thing with with the Welsh regions and what you've just mentioned. Yeah, I think there will be some amount of goodwill from some areas that will just be saying, no, we just need to back it out of um, doing the right thing and feeling yeah. it's like it's the right thing. But I don't and know, Ender, it, it, oh, sorry, go on. Rugby is good for rugby to watch, isn't it? You know, it's 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 played at a skillful level. It's great rugby to watch when it's played well. And, you know, the names we see in front of us suggest it will be played well. But to what you were saying, I just don't know how it gets the public interest at a time when Six Nations is back in the mix as well. Yeah, well, exactly. So hopefully with, with, is, with Rugby Pass TV, they, they might do the right thing in terms of broadcasting it. But there, there haven't been like I'm sure you, I don't think you noticed any of that information in your research here, did you, about what's going to happen in terms of broadcasting? Will they even look to, to? Yeah, I think it, it might end up being on YouTube or S4C might broadcast the Welsh games. But that is, I think, probably speculation at this point. I don't I didn't the, like the trial tournament that they did last year i didn't even know it existed until i read about the one the new one this year to, to be completely honest so yeah. it, it it's yet another truncated format end of which rugby just can't seem to get the hang of formatting competitions at the moment yeah look and it seems like there's an awful lot of rugby on as well um like especially with wxv i think like the numbers at both the tens and viewing figures for that were, were quite low which is really disappointing but i guess at least they're trying something and hopefully this is all going in the right direction and there might be a bit of pain up front. But I, I just want to highlight as well, I think it's, I really, um, Rugby Pass TV kind of released some figures recently and, and like it seems like a good few people have signed up for the service. And it's kind of something we've been calling out for for a long time, having a rugby streaming service that you don't pay for and that broadcasts those maybe competitions that wouldn't, be able to secure a broadcast deal with any of the big players um and it's widely available i think that that needs to be applauded like because like like wxb all of those games were available for free um which i think is brilliant um and like we see the sevens tournament on this weekend i'm not a big fan of sevens i don't watch it but again that was made available on the app everywhere 
so I think having that platform is is going to be part of growing the, the women's game. And if they get the more and more games they get on that and the more, you know, I guess, awareness that that even is a thing. Because I bet you a lot of people, a lot of rugby fans don't even know what Rugby Pass TV is. And the more awareness they grow about that, the, the better it will be for, for women's sport. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Let's talk about some actual games that happen. So I'm going to break with tradition and mention a non-Welsh or Irish game first. I'm going to talk about Bulls versus Sharks. So a huge event, one of the biggest games in the URC. Uh, and the Bulls made a real statement. They absolutely took apart their uh, local South African rivals in front of a big crowd at the stadium. I think it was well into the mid 20,000s for attendance, which mm. is great to see in a hot day. Again, fell victim to the camera was facing the side of the stadium, which was bathed in sunlight, and it is a heat wave in South Africa, so no one was sat there, so it looked like it was empty, but there wasn't. There was 20-odd thousand people sat on the other stand that the camera wasn't pointing at. So, you know, people... Anyway, I've done that rant too many times already. <laughs> but it was a big game, and the Bulls, we tipped them to do incredibly well this season, and they are not disappointing anybody. And like I said, that Sharks team was packed full of Yuretsa Beths and every Springbok you could want. And the Bulls were like, yeah, cool. And just absolutely destroyed them playing some great rugby and just formidable. I can't see them losing at home for the entirety of this season. And I think they're going to be there or thereabouts come finals time in the URC, to be honest. So that was the exciting game. I'm now going to quickly run through the Welsh regions and then I will let you two get into the meat and the bones of the Connor versus Leinster game. So like I said, I was at um, Cardiff Farms Park to take in Cardiff versus Scarlets, a win for the Scarlets, a morale boosting win. But I'd say from a Scarlets point of view, a lot of the problems that we've had were still very much present and correct. Our set piece got taken apart, both line out and scrum. And our kicking game still has not made an appearance this season. So Cardiff managed to draw us into a set piece game in the first 20 and a kicking game in the third 20 and won both of those periods. But we just ran everything and Yoan Lloyd in particular, just was like, yeah, no, give me the ball and was just making breaks from his own 22 all, all over the place. Cardiff down a man after losing Ellis Jenkins, which I think was a fair one. But if anybody ever has the chance to attend a rugby match in Cardiff, I'd really go for it because it's a great day out. Um, it, it, the locations, both Cardiff Farms Park and the Principality, are right in the middle of the city. There's you literally yeah, you fall into a pub on the way out and just don't go when it's minus two like I did and it will be uh, like I said a great day so no excuse for not getting out and just enjoying the rugby. Uh, other two results Ospreys in a low scoring game against Benison. Benison won I think it's a lot closer than a lot of Osprey fans were fearing though because Benison went full strength and Osprey sent the kids. Toby Booth said it wasn't the kids but it was um, and yeah, it, I think it will be another one of those um, results that we look back at the end of the season and say, do you know what, that wasn't so bad. Um, but Benetton racking up the wins and I still have them down to be in the playoffs come the end of the season. And then finally, Dragons took a hefty beating off the Lions down in South Africa in their final total game. You looked at the result and I think it was something like 49-22, something like that. And you think, oh, that's not so bad. Kept it under 50. And then you see that the Lions had a player sent off in the first half. <laughs> and you go, oh, OK, maybe it's not so good. And then you watch the highlights and talk about gift wrapped tries. The Dragons just gave. I think Jamie broke it down on rap and said, yeah, it was five out of the Lions. Six tries were came from knock arms from the Dragons where the Lions player just picked it up and ran it in. 
it's not really good enough to be honest and it, dragons fans are very much sick of hearing the same old excuses and same old lines that come out from the captain and the coach at the end of the game like oh we need to improve our accuracy we need to be playing at this level blah 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 well how many times can we learn this lesson guys but anyway scarlets uh, are now top of the Welsh shield and that's all that matters so that's out of the way ender call the police there was a robbery in galway tell me about it <laughs> yeah um look it was yeah it was a really tough watch at the end but i thought connacht did like i think connacht despite like i think they're in eighth now um at the moment just behind benetton or sorry just behind ulster and i i, I really feel like they, they should be higher in the table um like despite this loss and i know it wasn't the leinster's you know it wasn't i know it wasn't leinster's first team and it was, yeah. I just, I just really do think like Connacht are in a good position, and they're playing really good rugby. They're throwing more passes than any other team. They're offloading. They do kick. They kick quite a lot, but they kick smartly. They, you know, they keep the ball um, in play. They don't just click, kick for lineouts. And like, if you look at this performance, like Connacht were were down um, quite early on, and they came back, and and a lot of that was down to Hanson. But also, like, if you look at Connacht's three scores within this game, they all started from within their own half, and I think that just shows you how exciting they are, and 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 the type of players that they have, and the type of game plan that they have, and it just shows that they're they're willing to run it from from anywhere, but not necessarily like their own twenty-two. Like if you, like Connacht under Pat Lamb would you know famously run from anywhere like in terms of like their 22 or like close their line whereas Connacht at the moment other Wilkins are a bit bit smarter than that like they do run the ball from inside their own half but they you know they do play smart rugby they do clear the lines when they need need to they've got an excellent scrum half in Caelan Blade who's who's able to box kick quite well Um, Connacht's scrum was was very dominant in this game. Like Tyg Furlon, like towards the end of the game, Tyg Furlon came on and Keane Healy came on and Connacht were just winning. Like there was reset after reset, but eventually the ref kind of gave in and, and just gave the, the a couple of penalties to Connacht. I think he was dead right, but like they were completely dominant in that facet of the game. And I think that's a really strong point. And, and they were quite good at stealing the line out, you know, opposition line out, uh, which is what they've been good at all season. But in this game, the line out just, capitulated it was so frustrating i think there were five losses in a row or something and unfortunately um in the what 81st minute um when connacht had done really well you know won a won a scrum penalty against leinster only a couple of minutes left in the clock kicked the ball to the sideline and then the ball went in yeah crooked throw on the line out and leinster of course yeah run in and um, really really frustrating but yeah they, they, they just think they, they they do need to figure some things out, but I just don't want to be overly negative. Like I think this is one that Connacht probably deserve to win. Like they just need to cut out some of these silly mistakes. Like I remember they were camped in their own line during the first half and they did really well well to hold out Leinster and then they eventually won a penalty, but that penalty was reversed because Hurley Langton um during a scrap grabbed somebody else's scrum cap and then yeah, the ref saw it and reversed the, the penalty. And that was really like that was a really tough moment for Connacht. And then similarly you know, um, was it against the Bulls where they had a chance to go for their fourth try just to get a, you know, that that bonus point. But of course, the penalty was reversed because there was back chat to the ref, like stupid things like that. They really need to get out of their game. But overall, I think 
they're definitely going in, in the right direction. Like line out aside this game, I think line out's been good this season. The scrum's excellent. They've got some absolute superstars. They've got Matt's ha- Mac, Mac Hansen back, 11 defenders beaten, 143 metres gained, two try assists, three clean breaks. Like he's a superstar. Um, and now we've and got Bundy that. coming back this Friday as well against Bordeaux. So it's not all doom and gloom, but it's a game they should have won. And it wasn't Leinster's first team. It was far from it. But the foundations are there, to, I think, to go to go pretty far this season. What are your thoughts? I've been going on a bit there, uh, Catherine, but what are your thoughts from a Leinster perspective? I think I think you're harsh on your own team, right? I think this team kind of gave up its big stars to the World Cup. They're only just back in assimilation, so we're missing Bundy. Um, Hansen, as I was, I'm sorry, I was talking across there. Hansen is debuting at full back on Saturday night and looked like a man possessed. So it's it's a weird thing to watch Connacht over the years. I certainly well remember, like it was yesterday, the 2016 Celtic Cup final, where the Celtic League final in Edinburgh, when you absolutely hammered us. And I think. They're kind of two steps away from being the psychological killer team, right? And all that needs is a bit of guidance and your frontliners back and in command and control. Um, I'd rather not focus too much on my own team stealing victory at the death because I think that was a blip. I was really concerned. And it's a concern that's carried over from the World Cup as to line out and set piece and scrum. I just think something has gone wrong. Um, I'm not sure that... Leo is the person with the steady hand on the tiller. It's not really his job to do that stuff. He's the overall, you know, the executive and the DOR needs to take responsibility. And of course, that person has been absent and has just arrived back after a month-long bus tour of South Africa with a trophy. So, like, I, I think our chickens are coming home to roost much faster than we expect. And of course, looking forward to Sunday, we play La Rochelle in La Rochelle. I'll be flipping amazed if we come away from that without any losing bonus points, let alone anything else. And I think really you look at somebody as good and as sharp as Frawley and perhaps now that the news today with Harry Byrne being out injured until the new year, perhaps Frawley now slots into that 10 slot that he should have occupied from probably the start of his professional career really at Leinster and of course never was able to because Sexton was there ahead of him. And that maybe is the one bright spark for us, that injury, albeit really unfortunate, forces that positional shift. So we see Frawley at his pivotal best. But I think there's much more questions for me than happy answers for you, Enda, based on what happened on Saturday. And I want to ask you actually about the 4G pitch, because from the very start on a bitterly cold night, it looked like your lads were really loving playing in that pitch and Leinster could not get their heads around it. So how do you think that's going to pan out for you guys over the course of the season when you're at home? I think it's going to work out really well. So like this is kind of part of phase one of re- redeveloping the sports grounds. Um, like they've put in, like I know it's a small thing, but they've put in a new light system. And whenever Connacht scored, they do this like light show when, before Connacht come out and they turn off the lights and they're all flashing. You know, it just it, it adds to the atmosphere. And I think then on top of that, they put in this this plastic pitch, which Connacht needed like that pitch was not in a. Yeah, it wasn't in great condition. Uh, it's not in a great location either. Um, so it's I think Connacht needed, and it suits. Yeah, it suits Connacht's playing style. And I don't know about you guys, but like you can tell that they've invested more money than perhaps like if you're looking at maybe Newcastle play or Saracens, you can almost see that you know is it that rubber or plastic kind of like on players' face gets something about like the Connacht yeah. pitch looks completely yeah. green. And like when you yeah. see, like it, I think they've just they've obviously spent a good bit of money on it. Just it looks a lot more natural. 
And I don't want to get into the, you know, the stats around injuries and stuff. Like, I think we need to do, like, more research needs to be done there. But Connacht's injury front at the moment isn't actually too bad. So uh, it's obviously too early to read into that. But I think it's really going to suit the way Connacht play, especially when it's lashing rain. It's always going to be lashing rain. The wind is always going to be blowing in the west of Ireland. Um, So I think it just, it it adds to the sports ground now. I think it's been positive. I think the players have reacted well to it. And I think they've adapted well. Um, and it just, for me, I don't know about you, but it just looks a lot more natural than other maybe plastic pitches that are out there. Yeah, when Cardiff got theirs, the little um, black balls was it yeah. was a big thing, and it was yeah. uh, the the story was that it was just part of the new process. And to be fair, I don't I can't remember seeing it on players too much lately. Maybe a Cardiff fan might correct me, but what Cardiff did was in the first few games when they had it, they said after the game fans please come on the pitch and please do come on the pitch and walk on it and get it all bedded in and things so that was something they were doing but yeah it, it's, an, it's an interesting talking point isn't it and I'm, uh, the proportion of them is going up because what uh, is it Ulster have, done Edin- it Ulster have got it Cardiff have got it Saracens have got it at their place I think Edinburgh is it Gloucester, Edinburgh and Gloucester Newcastle. or both Newcastle yeah. you're surprised yeah. Bath haven't done it because their pitch has been a disaster for however oh, many they're... years it's yeah, right next to a river <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's interesting. Can I actually make a bit of a segue here and talk with Bath for a second? Because you look at their attendances and you look at the ticket prices they're charging and you kind of wonder what gives. They've just announced, or well, it's been leaked, that they're about to take Orgy Snyman from Munster. Imagine how hacked off you'd be if you're a Munster, having paid for that fellow's rehab for three and a half years. Then he goes off to Bath. And he's not even their marquee signing. Finn Russell's their marquee signing. So I'd be really interested to watch that one over the course of the year. Um, I was having a chat with Kevin Coughlin on Twitter, who's actually a really good person to follow. He's a fellow with a lot of insight into Bath, a lot of history with the club. And he was saying that they've got a new director of commercial who has come from the hotel sector, who knows how to tear and stagger pricing when seats are in demand and they seem to be filling the stadium now at the expense perhaps of a local who's gone to watch Bath for 45 years and suddenly can't pay 70 quid for a random Saturday in November which is what those uncovered tickets are retailing at but they're Mm. filling that ground and I think you'd look at that and you think if that is the fourth club to go to the wall in in the, the English Premiership no surprises but also if they can manage to turn that around and do something and then redevelop the ground because Obviously, we're talking about pitches here. I mean, I think they'll probably stick with their grass pitch, but there's big plans for that pitch. Yeah. Is that going to be the big talking point of the who next year? Who was it who had a who had a pop at them? A French guy. I can't remember which club it was from. Had a pop at them in the press this week and said, "I, I don't know if it was prompted or something." You went, "Oh, every time I, I'm not going to do the accents. Every time yeah. I go to Bath, uh, they show me the plans and they go, look at this amazing new stadium we're going to build.' And they've been showing me the plans for 25 years and it's not even started yet." And he kind of said that. So I've just I've managed to access my notes on Bath. And this is a tangent, but we, we're down it. We're down it now. Um, so Bath's average attendance last year was 13,839, uh, which is 95 percent capacity filled. And they so were doing very poorly as well. They were honkingly bad. Is that not season ticket holders buying and they count the season ticket holders having attended even if the place is half empty? Because Leinster does that, God bless us. We do that as very well. As far as I'm aware, everybody does that. Um, yeah. So yes, probably, but I, I, it kind of adds up because on TV you can see that it is full. It's. Yeah. I've done a whole deep dive on this, and it, Bath is one of those. 
ones which kind of disproves a little bit the population argument because you say oh yeah you get more fans but you're in a bigger city it doesn't necessarily work up because bath, bath is uh, by a long way not the biggest place in england and if you look at someone like newcastle they are in one of the biggest cities outside of london that hosts rugby and yet they have the smallest attendances by a long way so it, it's just parts of those pieces of context i mean let's be honest bath is a pretty posh place maybe the people who live there have got a bit of money i don't know maybe that's a general statement I mean, I don't remember train links dramatically improving. The last time I was there was kind of January oh, 2023. And like, it still took 90 minutes and cost about 100 quid to get down from Paddington to Bath. So I'd be really interested to see how they do it. And if they do finally that develop that pitch, maybe it'll be a 4G, but I don't think so. I think they're going old school. But if your partner is a non-rugby fan, it is a very easy sell to get them to go to Bath with you because you can visit the Jane Austen Museum or something next door <laughs> during the day. Uh, no partner I've ever brought to Bath has ever gone to Jane Austen, but you know, I'll bring that in mind for the next one I bring. <laughs> How about you, Enda? Yeah, look, I think it's, um, I've never been to Bath, but I, I do think, like for me growing up watching Bath, I, I've always associated them with, with the, you know, with a big fan base. And, and yeah. for as long as I can remember, they, they've always been feeling that, like it's a pretty shocking stadium, but they always seem to get really good numbers in. Um, which I think is really important because obviously at the moment let's not like like let's not beat around the bush. The reason they're doing well is because of money and they're getting big signings. So I think whenever that money runs out or whenever that investor just says uh, who I believe might be Dyson, um, the person behind right. Dyson, um, like yeah. is that like I for me like I don't think the English rugby model is sustainable and I could eat, like when when he moves on for example what the hell happens then so I think it's good in that in that respect to have that fan base who will probably be there um during the tough times just like they were last season so I think that's really important um especially when you look at attendance figures for for other clubs but I just I really liked I really like to see that like a club that you know had a horrible season last last year but got really good attendance i think it shows they're obviously doing something right and just touching back to connacht as well like they like it, i i know it was a it was sold out and it was only eight thousand people but the atmosphere i think it, it came across on tv like we, we spoke about this maybe on a pod or two ago like it's so important having these purpose-built rugby stadiums like i know the sports ground isn't purpose-built for rugby but these small stadiums that are enclosed that and yeah the people behind us just on a good show and I think that that's what Connacht are doing really well now at the moment um because we want people coming to rugby games and I think that that's important like and yeah you yeah. need to improve the match day experience do you see that that attendances have remained consistent and in fact improved since the World Cup whereas I would have thought that certainly the Irish would have been so kind of desolate after the World Cup that we'd all have hated rugby this last week yeah it's incredible mm-hmm. like people are actually dying to watch it and the product is is brilliant certainly in Cardiff it's great um do you know what a random segue the the attendance capacity at Muzzer Musgrave Park in Cork is 8,008 seats oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and they fill it and they, and they yeah and they sold it out um for yeah. the Glasgow which is brilliant just adds to the atmosphere but I don't know if you guys so about two hours ago Matt Hardy from City AM uh, published an article saying that attendance figures for, for the rugby. Premiership yeah, are down 1,200 per game so far this season. Yeah, he's got a bit of a, he's a dog with a bone a bit about slating rugby at the moment. And he has done a few articles along those lines. Although, to be fair to him, he did praise the URC the other day. So maybe he's a best league. 
secret secret um, guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he is very much that is his thing. Just last thing on Bath, I will say the other thing that helps is it's not a football town. So yeah, Bath that helps. Yeah. Bath, Gloucester, mm. Northampton to an extent, less so Leicester these days, now that Leicester City have, have become a thing. These aren't these are rugby towns first and foremost, and they are the the places where the capacity gets filled to the most, whereas you get like London has obviously plenty of football teams and in, in, in Newcastle football is a religion and you, you couldn't meet one in, one in a thousand people who follows the rugby team anyway to get back on track we talked about uh the uh, attendance at Musgrove Park there so Munster put 40 points on Glasgow and it was a game that they seemed to have won pretty early on did either of you manage to catch much of this that's one for you Wanda yeah, I caught the I caught most of the first half and a little bit of second half. Um, it was such a fast start by Munster for me. Um, Glasgow were still on that plane. I thought they were very poor. Like I think Munster were really good in that first half, and I think they're a team that you enjoy watching now. Like the offloads, the passes, the varieties of their game. They've got some really good young and upcoming players. They got Tom Hearn, Crowley, Coombs, Casey. You can like just to name but a few, and again, it's just. It's great. Like I, I don't know about you guys, but when you when you think about Graham Rounds, you wouldn't maybe necessarily associate him with this offloading fast paced game. And I think it's just it's brilliant. And I think he's a really popular figure down in Munster. And I think that's really important. And um, but for me also, yeah, just in that game, Glasgow were definitely off the pace. Um, but yeah, Munster, I think are, they're looking really strong at the moment. I do still wonder if their front row is strong enough. Uh, to go all the way uh, in Europe this season, if we can still call it Europe, we probably can't. And uh, we'll call it EPCR, even though there's Europe in there, but any European in there. Um, I'm definitely calling it Heineken Cup. <laughs> yeah, we'll just call it the Heineken Cup or the yeah, yeah, not We refuse to follow that, that I word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think I just, but they, they have got Ollie Ager in, who looks like a really good signing. He's Irish qualified, of course he is. Um, so I think, yeah, Munster were, were very good. Um, Ulster, not so much though. Just touching on that game, I think they lost what twenty four or twenty seven twenty four at home to Edinburgh. Did either of you guys get a chance to watch this game or? Oh Jesus, yeah. I mean, I I tried my best to sit through the whole thing, but it's terrible. That's a team in real trouble, and mm. I I'm great, I suppose, student of psychology and sport and recent academic stuff I've done has led me down that path a bit. It, it really looks like they are a crowd of fellows with no leaders. No on-pitch leaders. Um, Dan McFarlane seems to be furious the whole time about the yeah. fact that the team didn't perform in training. Well, uh, perhaps one should look at oneself, Dan, is, is the answer to that. You contrast that with the point you've made about Graham Rowntree, who more and more seems to be to becoming a leader. And you need to be a leader of men, particularly in those Irish provinces where they're so guided by the cult of the personality. And, you know, you miss couple of big personalities in the Ulster setup and suddenly they are looking absolutely rudderless. I mean, they were trying to lose that game. And I've, you feel really sorry for guys like Stephen Ferris and the other lads around him who have played and won trophies with Ulster and have to watch and commentate on this because they look abject and really lost. You know, and, and for a team with the calibre of players they have, everyone has to stand up and take accountability and people aren't and you'd have to look at them and think Jesus they really contrived to lose it yeah and they've been going for a good few years now with that like for a long yeah. time now without any trophies so I think it's 
about time you know they they pull things together and I know they have a massive injury list now at the moment um there are murmurings now obviously about McFarlane the rumors go around about him of course but he's in contract with Ulster till 2025 I believe so I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon um but yeah I thought I thought those comments after the game were, were quite poor talking about like you always look at yourself like you wouldn't hear Rog saying something like that you certainly wouldn't hear Pete Wilkins uh, who's the current Connacht uh, coach he's excellent as well I didn't know much about him till this season I'm, I've listened to him now every week in the media and he's he's really articulate he's a really smart guy and you can tell that that players are playing for him uh, but yeah we'll see I don't think I don't see Ulster going anywhere uh, this season unfortunately and they've also signed kids off who must be wondering what the hell he's walked himself into imagine that. he's probably checked his bank account though and he's probably got happy days <laughs> Yeah. Can you imagine arriving into Belfast and it being dark at four o'clock in the afternoon? I mean, God love him. God almighty. He's probably looking at Blair Kinghorn getting um, Edinburgh 100 grand from Toulouse and just going, oh, I'm over here. Uh, right. Last URC game then, Stormers versus Zebra. I didn't manage to catch much of it, but 31-7 to, Ze- to, not to Zebra, to the Stormers. Stormers with their spring box back. Manny was back. Hashtag team Manny. And Willemse was back, got on the score sheet. I think you kind of look at it and go, with the context that you have to the view the URC with now, with these South African tours, you'd say 31-7 isn't so bad, <laughs> really. And this is, like, you didn't get anything out of the game, but you have to say, there's a lot of teams going to get beat by a lot more down there. Yeah, and that's so. testament to, to, to Zebra as well. Like, they're on 11 points now at the moment which is equal to what they had at the end of last season and more than they had at the end of the 2021 to 2022 season, which is just bonkers to me. Um, but I think that that like that that shows how far they've come on. Like they've a win this season, they've a draw, and I think that that's important. And they're, yeah, this league to me so far this season has just been so competitive. Um, but yeah, the Stormers do look off though at the same time. Like this... Like I know that they were traveling for four weeks. Well, they were at four games. I think, I think it was at least four weeks. Yeah, they were traveling. Um, so yeah, but they were probably on the road for maybe for longer than that. But yeah, I, yeah, I think it's yeah. We'll see. I think we'll see now the South African teams as they play these home. Like even the Lions are putting massive scores up on on teams. Um, but I think we'll we'll see the the South African teams really now creep up that table. Maybe not so much the Sharks, but maybe that's for another pod. Hmm. So. The South Africans are now going to be getting their second ever taste of European rugby as we go into that this weekend. I don't know about you guys. This feels like the least excited the rugby community has been for a European competition since I've been watching the sport. There's a lot of things that we could talk about, the reasons why. Maybe I'll just get a bit of a summary from from each of you. So there's obviously the format. There's the changes of the South Africans being added where we in the URC are loving it, but it doesn't seem like the English or the French have quite got their heads around it yet. And yeah, like I said, the the number of teams who qualify is a, is a big bone of contention. Catherine, for, for you, does Europe still hold that magic or do you think, no, this is this has lost its shine? As I we stand Europe, Europe for an Irish fan, Europe for an Leinster fan will always have a special allure. If you're from a team that hasn't tended to compete well in Europe or has gone out in the opening rounds, it becomes one more thing. I'm not I'm not being mean. No, no, I didn't mean that about you. <laughs> I think it's something like Gloucester. God. Um, He's going to drop off. 
I was on Kaylin's pod on Sunday and it was they had all like Leinster and Munster and Le- and Ulster fans talking about oh when we won it in this year when we oh my when we God. got knocked out in the semi-finals this year and I'm like we got to the sem- semi-finals of the Challenge Cup last year that was good when it's down the low bar right sometimes that's the best thing I think the demise of the the home and away fixture has killed it like I for for 20 seasons I would have leapt on the text from an insider at Leinster or within the Irish media press corps say CK like book your flights now for a flight to Breve or to Agen or whatever else Jesus you'd be so excited like you'd be counting down the days and researching your restaurants and what's what there is to do and where you'd stay and how you'd get there and who was going to drive and that that cachet as a competition as a new competition I mean what was it inaugural season 1907 you know it, it's arrived at the advent of professionalism in the sport and it brought a whole vista alive for people who would never have dreamed of going to France or provincial France or the south of England to to watch their province or their team in a match and that was always what was so unique about it and to have this random fixture and like I'm friends with a lot of very very knowledgeable people and people were looking at the fixtures for my team over the summer going I can't make head or tail of it we've sailed in Dublin but not back in Manchester and we've got La Rochelle on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock in December no one's going to that no one I know is going to that who has a job anyway do you know and just it it loses something in its relentless striving for something that it isn't I don't know what they're trying to construct. And I think there might be a little bit of post-World Cup ennui, right? But everyone always got up for a big Heineken Cup fixture. And it was always, in, in my circle, it was always somebody's birthday or, you know, some big event that was happening or like the last Saturday before Christmas in Lansdowne Road. That game would relentlessly be a sellout. Mm-hmm. So... It's really weird to be approaching the weekend and to realise that I've got something on a Sunday afternoon. Was it? Oh, God, yes, Leinster playing La Rochelle, but I can't watch it because I've got something else booked. That's the first time in my life watching rugby that I have had this approach. So over to you. Yeah, it's a death knell, isn't it, for your involvement with the sport? I talk about my experience with Formula One quite a bit on this, and there was a time in Formula One, I I would set an alarm at 5 a.m. to watch free practice and now there sometimes I don't even check to see what time it's on and I, I just see the result I'm like oh there was a Grand Prix today like yeah and it, it feels like Europe is getting a bit like that as well like oh that game was played wow what about you Ender you know Challenge Cup friends um <laughs> is it did you get there a bit quicker having not had the historical success that maybe the Leinsters among us have had well I'm kind of one of those unique Irish fans. Um, like I, <laughs> I support all the the provinces just in a certain order. <laughs> so Connacht is my number one I'm team. Really. Lens is number two. Munster three and Ulster fourth. Don't tell Caelan about Munster. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like I I like to see all the Irish provinces do well. So like for, but you're dead right. Like it doesn't feel like we've got Europe coming up this weekend. But from a Connacht fan's perspective, like it's massive. Like just for Connacht to be in in the Champions Cup this season is huge. Got Bordeaux coming to town on Friday under the under the lights in the sports ground. I think it's really something to to look forward to. And I think the fans will get behind them. And listening to some Connacht podcast during the week and some of the media coming out and some of the press releases they've they've put out there, they they want to make a statement on Friday. They the players seem annoyed, the coaches annoyed. So I think it could be a, a great game. 
Um, we'll see what kind of team Bordeaux sends over. Who who knows? Because it's all about the top fourteen. Um, so I think from that from a conduct perspective, it's huge. But like, yeah, from from an Irish rugby perspective, it it does feel like it's lost that, and it just feels like it's this massive competition now that nobody understands. Oh, I love the South African teams being the URC. They're in Europe now. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think I'd mind if if there weren't just so many teams. Like I don't feel like a lot of those teams at the moment who are playing this weekend are there on merit, which is a shame. I think it should be the the elite teams in Europe playing each other. Um, and like we've seen in in the last season or two, teams with multiple losses get through the knockouts, and I think that's just that's just act um, for me. And it's going to be fascinating, I think, just to see what, what squads are put out this weekend. Like, I remember last season, the Bulls basically put out their second string team for European games. That they just prioritise the URC, which from a URC perspective is cool. Um, but also, they've also got the Curry Cup as well. But like, exactly. how are the South African teams going to manage it? Will you see them putting out, like, a, I think John John Dobson might have said, he might have hinted at uh, the Storm is doing something similar this year. And I think like that's a shame if, if we're looking at that that type of situation. I don't think you'll see any Irish team ever put out a second string squad. Um but yeah, it'll be yeah, it, it's definitely lost something, but you know what? Like I just feel like it's it'll get interesting during the knockouts. I will all, probably all forget about this conversation about all the group games and it'll be a great knockout. Um but I just think the English teams are not gonna be there. Like it's gonna be between um the Irish provinces and uh the French teams. Um, yeah. and the top French teams. Yeah. Uh, one good thing, though, about the Challenge Cup, um, which is pretty cool, like a Georgia team, the Black Lions are playing Gloucester this weekend. That's cool. Um, and Zebra playing the Cheetahs. Um, I, I, <laughs> like I for, got... for a lot of people, they wouldn't be interested in that. But for me, as a bit of a rugby nerd, like, that's interesting. I love seeing the Cheetahs. Ruan Piner still playing. Like, that's cool. That's, um, that's a bit different. Yeah. Years after he left Ulster. Years after that. Yeah. 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 Still going. So I. I... I'm super excited for Gloucester going to Tbilisi to play Black Lion because I think there is a more than decent chance that Black Lion win that because they are they have a lot of Georgian internationals who are at the World Cup there and Gloucester are going to send the kids and Gloucester's not kids team is doing very badly at the moment. So I reached out to friend of the pod, Francisco Isaac, to get a sneaky preview of this. And he essentially said, Hugh, I wrote an article for World Rugby. You should just go and read that to me. Um, <laughs> um but he he's he gave a non-committal that he's excited he said that he thinks the black line might win a couple of games and as you just said to you only need a couple of wins to progress so black lion could find themselves getting to the knockouts of this tournament and how amazing would that be oh my and God. It, that would did she just made it to knockout last season like yeah you know yeah, so that's exciting. So I'm super excited for that game. That is probably the one thing that I am really intrigued by uh, this time. But I just want to go back to a point that we kind of touched on earlier. You know, we spoke about the rotation of players and things, and you talked about there, Ender, what team is Bordeaux going to send over to, to Connacht? And we're talking about what kind of team Gloucester is sending over to, uh, to Georgia. So this kind of comes back to our chat about the calendar and... We've seen uh, reported by Oval, uh, America's Oval, sorry, the other day that the All Blacks are now getting up to playing 15 test matches um, next season. And what we're seeing now is if we talk about limits for 20 players, sorry, limits for 20 matches for players is just hypothetical. That would mean that over half of those could be at international level. So it really feels like club rugby 
is really struggling for space to breathe. And I think Europe is really suffering from that, that we're trying to have this football style European competition. It just doesn't fit. We can't find space for it. And if we did want to go back to the old style pool format with the double headers, as you said there, when do we schedule those games? When When is the opportunity to have them? Because we're trying so hard to not have URC games clash with internationals. So Catherine, I know this is a topic very close to your heart. Mm-hmm. The Northern Hemisphere calendar, as it stands, it just doesn't work. And I think it feels like that there are people on this half of the planet who are struggling to comprehend that and how the Kiwis, for example, have very much got it sussed to suit them. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, my views on the World Cup and its original scheduling and the fact that it sits in early autumn and how that suits the three Southern Hemisphere sides and brought out in the results. Um, I think perhaps I, m- I might challenge the concept that it's stopped working for Northern Hemisphere. I think it works really well for countries and clubs or provinces or franchises with a strong rotation policy at the base. And that gives, like, I don't mean to keep harking back to the Irish system, but I think it works for a reason. And that is a very strong rotation of policy at the base. So whilst your top flight are away at Six Nations or or whatever, your kind of middle tier are being blooded in the ancillary competitions where that really falls off is where, for example, Wales, right, where there isn't that breed of academy type structure or lower middle tier ranking coming through. So the same players are rotated the whole time. And it's it's no coincidence that you look down to the list of those, whatever it is, 200 and something names of rugby players involved in the class action. Many of them are Welsh. So the same people have been played over and over and over. And when I talked really about New Zealand, perhaps having the player rotational policy right, they can they can do it because that's the number one sport. Well, however long stays that way is another moot point. But they've got enough rank and file coming through to populate the domestic leagues whilst they send their top flight off with something to spare. That said, 15 tests in a calendar year for one side is negligent. And that's negligent from a health perspective and professional perspective and probably an ethical and likely an insurance perspective. Yeah, it is crazy. And I wonder if this is just trying to them trying to cram in as many games as they can before the Nations League starts and then they might find themselves potentially limited. I will also point out that the only tier two um, nations that New Zealand are playing next year are Japan and Fiji, who are due to be added to the Nations League. So I don't know if we can refer to them as tier two for much longer. Caitlin, how about you? Do you feel like and, we're uh, reaching? Did I say Caitlin? <laughs> I've been called a lot worse. Don't worry. I'm so sorry, mate. <laughs> it's because Caitlin's always yeah, look, my they're, main, they're... Event that. main event monster. Blah blah blah. <laughs> you know what he's like. <laughs> it, it's a crazy amount of games. Like when when you when you think about it, and like I, like just to touch on what Catherine said. Like for me, I, I've said us on this pod a few times like the Irish system is the best way to go uh, we rotate we look after our players um, and the idea of Ireland playing 15 games is just it just wouldn't happen yet we can still fund four provinces really well and we can retain all our talent like we don't like like isn't it Wales to play that extra game outside the test window during yeah. the November period we, we don't have to do that and uh, we don't have a massive population like we just do it right and for me, this kind of just reiterates this point. Like, it's just, like, why would you play? Well, the only well, that's obvious. They're playing 14, 15 games to to generate loads of cash. Like, mm. I think that I just saw that uh, Barrett's been signed on. Um, what till twenty twenty seven? 
um, which is good news yes. for New Zealand. Yeah. Um, so see, that's going to cost them a heck of a lot of money. Um, but yeah, that that's it does seem like a bit of a, a money grab, and I just can't see how that's sustainable and, and how I, I like I can't see us having ever a world calendar like a club calendar I just don't see it happening different hemispheres like look at the, it's hilarious looking at the ORC each weekend now you'll see games in freezing cold temperatures in Cardiff and and in Cork and then you know teams are playing in 36 degrees heat in, in Pretoria um I don't know how it's yeah I I don't know like the calendar piece is just like I think it, for me, it, it's a bit out of control now at the moment. And with Europe and with the domestic leads, domestic leads potentially amalgamating, then you've got all these. Now we've got this, yeah, these nation leagues and everything. We have too many games. We've too we many competitions. Club World Cup in as well. Yeah, we could argue with too many clubs. You've clubs going under. Like it, there is just there's almost just too much rugby. Like people often refer to the NFL, but like it's such a like it's one competition. Like we're never going to be at that stage. It's one country, um, pretty much. Um, yeah, it's just, but I think Catherine, that that's such a good point. I think that the like I don't want to be too doomsday in this, but like we obviously we we have touched on litigation, touched on player welfare, all of that, and and this crazy calendar. But like it, it's obvious that bigger squads uh, and less games are like, or even maybe the same amount of games, but just bigger squads. But then, how is an English team going to afford that? You know, if they have these benefactors and then that benefactor pulled out, um, I just I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Don't know where I went there, but anyway, here we are. Well, let's continue the European theme then and do our, our roundup of all of the club results. So I'll take France first. So something we spoke about before we came on air was the Toulon hype train, which I am firmly uh, on board of and maybe even the conductor or at least the ticket collector. Um, so Toulon are now up to second in the top 14 with their fourth win in a row. They beat Poe, who were doing very well competing at the top up until now. Racing still hold the number one spot. So the question we're all asking is, are the real Toulon back, or at least are the Toulon that won three back-to-back-to-back European titles uh, back? We wait and see, but it's exciting to see what they can do in Europe coming up. There was a Stade derby, as France beat Stade Toulouse, uh, but Montpellier unfortunately picked up their eighth loss uh, in a row. They sacked Richard Cockrell last week, and that doesn't seem to have worked yet. They're right at the bottom, and it doesn't look like they're going to be going anywhere. The only win of the season came in game week one, which was against Rogers La Rochelle, who I believe did pick up a win at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. La Rochelle picked up a win just the weekend gone. I think it was against Perpignan, who are again in the relegation zone of the top 14. So, anyway, Pro de Deux. So Vaughn are still top, despite their loss to Grenoble. This was covered in the Friday breakfast show as this game was played on uh, Thursday. Newly George North Provence, he's not actually playing for them yet, but he will join them next season, beat Normandy 45-24. Portugal winger Rafael Storti got two more tries for Beziers as they beat Montalban to go fourth in the league. But his international teammate Nicola Martins did not have the same amount of luck as they lost their game and in a thrilling 6-0 defeat. Uh, checking the results for these Pro Day Deer games is always funny because you see some scorelines and you're like, oh, that looks like tri- Trifest. And it's like 12 penalty kicks each. <laughs> so it's it, it, it just it download flash score and just keep track of the results. But Stuart Holding is still doing the job for Brief, which is nice. Um, what about the English Prem, Ender? What's happening over there? 
So Newcastle, unfortunately, are still winless. Um, there have been a couple of rumours circulating. Um, I did listen to the rugby pod this morning. Um, and they, yeah, I, I don't want to really go into it because I saw immediately after listening to the pod, I did see Mark, um, who is their media manager, come out mm-hmm. and he is very annoyed. Um, so there are some basic, from what I can gather, there are rumours go around about Newcastle that are unfounded. I think they're absolutely fine uh, in terms of their financial stability. And um, I just think they, they it sounds like they just simply don't have the the budget to have a, a competitive squad. So where to next for them? I don't know. Um, but look, they're, they're at the bottom of the log. Uh, Staler, uh, Sale, I should say, are still on top despite a heavy loss to Quinns. That was quite surprising. I think that one was like 36-3 or something at the end. Very surprising. Yeah. But Quinns were at home. Uh, a change series team picked up a shock loss at home to the Saints. Um, so that was that was a pretty big uh, win for Saints, who were actually playing some really nice rugby uh, so far this season. Gloucester, you had a big loss against uh, Bristol. Both yeah, so Gloucester and Bristol are both really struggling, but um, Gloucester in particular because they took fifty points. Um, some also rumours circulating about um, Pat Lamb at Bristol, but I'd say they're unfounded as well because he's in contract. Like he signed a seven-year contract about two seasons ago. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, it's just you never see a contract length like that, do you? Like I, I've never heard. Well, of Bristol that have got the money to pay him off though, if they if they change their mind. They do have a ridiculous budget, yeah. So we'll watch this space, but they do. It's it's yeah. It's what I love about Bristol is it seems like a proper rugby town. They do get massive crowds at their games, even though they're not doing that well, and they actually do play a really nice brand of rugby. Um, but let's move on. We'll try to get through these English Championship. Ealing lost, um, which is, yeah, you never hear this, especially in the champ. Uh, they lost to second from the bottom, London Scottish. Um, but of course, they're still on top. Uh, but Doncaster are applying some pressure, having beaten the, beaten, I should say, the Cornish Pirates. In the Premiership Women's Rugby Tournaments, uh, Saracens are on top with three wins from three. Another big win in the London Derby away to Quinns. And Tigers are sat at bottom with no wins uh, from three games. And then in the AIL Division 1A in Ireland, Clontarf are still unbeaten um, and remain on top. They did have one draw this season, but the rest were all wins. Uh, Dublin University are still winless and are sitting uh, bottom of the log as well. So I think that pretty much rounds up all the games um, from the weekend. Um, Do you want to talk us through... The, uh, or attempt to talk us through the TV guide now for Europe this this weekend. So to let the listeners know, I got a voice note from Ender yesterday saying, Hugh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. It's impossible to figure out where all these games are being played, when they're on and how people can watch them. And he had me checking things. He was like, can you look at this? Can you go on this website and find this out? So Ender, over to you, mate. Have you managed to suss it out yet? To an extent. Okay, here's here's the okay, so for Champions Cup it's actually pretty straightforward. It's basically if you've TNT sports, happy days. Which you I did. I have cancelled my Sky subscription and, and picked up a TNT, well, Discovery Plus subscription. Yeah. And it's actually cheaper by five quid. So that's good for, for fans of that. And then if you want to stream it in the UK, you can watch it on Discovery Plus. If you want to stream it in Ireland, you can watch it on now. Uh, so that's good. But also there are some free to wear players uh, showing some games in the Champions Cup. So ITV and S4C in the UK and then RTE in Ireland. So that's good news. But basically, 
if you want to watch the Champions Cup in Ireland or the UK, get TNT Sports, basically. Where things get a little bit tricky is the Challenge Cup. Um, there are an insane amount of uh, broadcasters at the moment. Um, so you've got EPC RTV, you've got S4C, you've got Viaplay, you've got Premier Sports. And it kind of changes every week. So the EPCR have published their entire broadcast schedule for the group stages of the Challenge Cup. And as far as I can see, it's wrong. Um, even looking at this weekend, they have games on, in their guide that are supposed to be like this one game this weekend. The Ospreys are playing. Uh, it's supposed to be on Premier Sports in Ireland. It is not on Premier Sports, but it's in their guide. Um, there are games being shown on their own streaming platform, um, which is really strange, um, that are being shown and aren't um, listed in their TV guide, which is really strange. So they are, like, according to their EPC or TV guide, they are showing these games, but in their broadcast guide, they're not showing them. I don't know. Um, but basically, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tricky uh, it, for the Challenge Cup this season. That Like, you are going to have to watch it on, on various different channels. But... It seems like overall the bigger games in the UK will be on Viaplay in Ireland. The bigger games will tend to be on Premier Sports. Uh, maybe some of the and then maybe the the less popular games will be on EPC or TV, which is about seven ninety nine euro um, per game. And um, but there will also be some free to wear games in the UK on S four C. But yeah, let's just quick quick yeah to to sum it up. Both competitions start this weekend. And this weekend alone, there are seven seven different broadcasters, ten different channels, and eight different streaming platforms. And um, so you'll hear all about it in our Friday morning pod, and I'll also get the guides out as usual uh, on Thursday night or Friday morning. So Catherine, you got a bit of a reaction there. Seven euros ninety nine per game. That's almost a match ticket for some people. That feels like a piss take, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I kind of think of that as in terms of my Audible monthly subscription or, or you know, a few more quid becomes my Netflix subscription. Like that is bananas. I'd love to speak to the commercial person at EPC or and, and wonder like where their intent lies. Yeah, so, I, I think what they're trying no to do basically is to there. get team. Yeah, I think what the idea is just to get games that basically broadcasters don't want to show because they're probably not going to get the viewership there. They want to get them out there. Like, for example which is even more bananas. Dragons v. Oyana is on this weekend, on Saturday. It is being streamed on EPC or TV, and there will be no commentary, uh, according oh. to their website. According to EPC or rugby.tv, there will be no commentary, and the same for Perpignan v. The Lions on Sunday at 1 o'clock. So the uh, and, that, and that will cost you seven ninety nine per game. Yeah, eight quid. Yeah, um, but I can see what they're doing. They're trying to make sure all the games are, you know, available to watch, but they're not going to get good viewership on on those games, especially when they're not really talking about it as well. There was a um, solution two years ago when they decided to screw it up. You know, it was all across one broadcast channel and then they, they screwed it up again and they went through in a separate way and they came back and then we had two channels and now we've got a myriad and we've got to pay for each one. Yeah. Like yeah. how to shoot yourself in both feet. Well, I, I do a Scarlet's podcast and I'm going to have to say to the guy who run, who, who hosts it and say, I'm not sure I'm willing to pay eight quid to, to watch this game if it's the only way I've got of watching it. Um, 
like you say, you'd think, oh, it's eight quid to, for the season, right? Oh, no, eight quid for one game. Are you kidding? For one game. Yeah. Extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. God. Yeah. And look, that that might change. Like, they, they might release a pass. Um, who knows? Like, on their website right now, it just says no packages available, and you can just purchase each game individually. There's a but, link that says get pass, and you click the link, and then it says no passes available. And then nothing happens. <laughs> My God. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be quite conf- yeah. I just but bizarrely, yeah. Based the big big takeaway for me this weekend is according to EPCR, you know they're they're showing um, the Ospreys game on Premier Sports in Ireland, and that is simply not the case. Which I just think is bonkers that they they publish a guide that's just completely inaccurate, um, and also have games on their own streaming platform and not put that in their guide. Um, it's just bizarre. But look, the Champions Cup, uh, Champions Cup, I'm gonna get every single fixture out in a tweet this week as well. But th- that's it's a lot more straightforward. It's just the Challenge Cup might be a bit My challenging to watch. Sweet stories that you have for us, yeah. Gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, I despite all my moaning, I'll still be watching half of it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah the thing is, they got us. <laughs> <laughs> right. Should we call it a pod, guys? Sounds good. Okay. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you, Catherine, so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure having you. I loved it. And I'm sorry, but thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.